0: DataFam, Zach Bowders here. How are you this week? I'm doing pretty good. It's a rainy day here and I'm feeling a bit reflective. It's been an exciting time for the DataFam. We have just had registration for Tableau Conference 2022 open, which will be both live and virtual, which is exciting. Many people attending their first conferences. We have also recently had the Tableau Visionaries named for 2022 with the name change from Tableaus and Master as well as many new faces coming in. It's a very exciting time and additionally we've had our top 10 finalists and final three named for Iron Viz who will be competing this year. So between all of these things happening at once it's been a really exciting time for the community with... A lot of people being honored, a lot of people, you know, producing some amazing work, and a lot of excitement being ginned up as we all get ready to attend the conference, either in reality or virtually coming up in about two months now. And all of this got me thinking about the idea of progression and not just progression, but people's journeys over the years that I've been doing data plus love We've had a lot of sort of guest centric episodes where we've gotten into people's personal stories about what drives them and what they do And what their technique is and in some cases sort of what their background is as well, right? but I think one of the pieces that's missing and it's something I'm not always intentional about is the story of people and how they got to where they are. Because oftentimes we see someone's work and we look at it and we're blown away, particularly as we see people be honored as ambassadors or visionaries or what have you. It's really easy to feel distant from that, especially if you're earlier in your career or your creative journey. So one of the things I try to practice is radical vulnerability, both with my social media accounts, as well as the podcast. I try to, as much as possible, put the real me out there. Now, you're not seeing every single crack. I have my own neuroses, I've suffered depression and anxiety through the years, and I've got some stuff going on right now that's not the easiest or most pleasant to deal with. But for the most part, I try to be who I say I am. And as part of that, I thought today would be a great opportunity to sort of share my journey. I had the honor recently of speaking at a Tableau user group and I gave a presentation that I called Zero to Zen. It's a presentation name that's been beaten to death. Many people have used this same title. Um, I'm going to rename it Visionary Velocity or something along those lines. But the key idea behind it was to describe my journey from being brand new to the Tableau community to where I am now, entering my second year as a Tableau visionary. Some of you listening will already know some of my story, and others of you have heard snippets of it in my discussion with many guests in the past. In 2004, I graduated from college at the University of Memphis. I had two bachelor's degrees in four years, an MIS degree and a marketing degree, which I had earned by taking 18 hours a semester as well as doing summer school two sessions. The time I started college, the dot-com era was in full bloom, and people were being hired out of school as juniors, receiving $40,000 signing bonuses, and it was a really baller time to be an MIS major. So around the time I was getting ready to graduate, I started looking at my options, I was putting out applications. I had been working part-time during the school year and full-time during the summer at a swimming pool supply store for about four years at that point which had helped pay for my apartment and subsidize all of my income. My parents had moved away around the time I was graduating from college um, to Pennsylvania to take care of their family. So I didn't have any family in the immediate area. So I was basically self-sufficient at that point. So I was looking for options to proceed and I found out that I could get a free uh, graduate program essentially if I did it at double speed. Additionally, I had to work as an advisor for the assistantship. So every morning I'd go to work at the swimming pool store. Every afternoon from noon to five, I'd work as an advisor at the university. And then every evening from either seven to 10 or five to eight, I'd have classes. After that, I commuted back to my apartment. I did classwork until about midnight and I crashed pretty hard and did the same thing again. And I did that about five days a week saturdays i worked all day at the swimming pool store and sundays i would get up and either sleep in or go to church and then sunday afternoon was group projects for grad school and i did this for 18 months including working full-time as a graduate assistant and swimming pool guy uh, during the summer in order to sort of pay for my apartment pay for my food and that sort of stuff but around the time my graduate program was coming to an end hurricane katrina hit so compounding that with a lot of the current market conditions and sort of a lot of the influx of people fleeing the hurricane, our job market became really saturated in the Memphis area, which is where I lived, and I could not find a job to save my life. In fact, I was unemployed for six months straight following my graduation from grad school. So I had a graduate degree and two bachelor's degrees, and not only was I unemployed, I was unemployable. The previous jobs at the swimming pool store would not take me back because they knew I wasn't going to stay and other jobs were looking for people with a greater level of experience than I had, so I was stuck in a really sticky place. In fact, I burned through all my savings during those six months, became incredibly depressed, gained 20 pounds, applied for food stamps, got denied for food stamps, got applied for food stamps again, ultimately got them, and kind of just bottomed out my life because at this point, I had worked really hard and sort of believed, hey, as long as you're hardworking, willing, you're always going to have an opportunity. And that's not necessarily always true. It's something that, you know, your parents can instill in you. And that may work out in many cases, but it's not a universal truth. That's why there are social safety nets. So my saving grace came at the hands of a friend's dad who worked at a bank. Um, He was able to get me an assistant loan officer job, which paid about $30,000 a year, which coming from unemployed for six months at $30,000, uh seems like a godsend. It's a little bit embarrassing when you have advanced degrees, but I wasn't looking a gift horse in the mouth. So I did that job for about a year, and I didn't like it. I wasn't good at it. I was pretty miserable. I didn't like banking, and my friend's dad and I clashed. And honestly, he's a lot of the reason I thought of this conversation because I found out over the weekend that he had just passed away. He was in his early 70s, and he just suddenly died. And it was a big shock to me. It uh, sort of shook me up a little bit. So working at this bank job, I did meet a bunch of nice people and it was a back office setting. Unfortunately, the sort of banking we were doing was primarily home development loans. And if you think about the time in which I'm doing this, which is 2006 to 2007, that industry was also bottoming out right now with the subprime mortgage lending crisis. I jumped from one crisis into another, but ultimately I did find my way out. So I found an entry level job at ALSAC St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which is where I spent the next 13 and a half years of my career. At ALSAC, I once again started off at the very bottom, basically taking a lateral salary to what I was already making at the bank as what was called a Software Analyst Level 1, or actually at the time, I believe it was called a Junior Systems Analyst. Now, I wasn't actually analyzing any systems. In fact, I was a developer. I was at the VSC, the Volunteer Service Center, which handled phone calls for ALSAC. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is an amazing nonprofit charity, which creates life-saving cures and provides these for free um, to families and also provides for many of the families' other needs. ALSAC is the organization that takes care of the fundraising and awareness for the hospital, so it's legally distinct. The VSC was not a glamorous gig. In fact, it was basically a dead end in terms of ALSAC, many people that had bottomed out landed there within the organization, and many people that started there never found their way out. So it was there that I met one of my best friends, David Kelly, who started about a year after I did, and our careers have been intertwined ever since. So he and I were both programming at the VSC. We used a software product called Edge, which is archaic. It's best to imagine a black screen with green text like you're playing Zork, but imagine you're now coding but via Madlib. So you actually would have a sort of coding template where it was as if it were a sentence and you would plug in syntax and different fields and it would create the thing you're trying to do. Eventually the VSC moved on from this after one failed CRM attempt and an ultimate deployment of a Salesforce CRM which was 90% custom, which was a disastrous deployment that caused many long hours for everyone. I don't blame Salesforce for this. It's just the circumstance. Anyway, one of my greatest early achievements in my career there, and I remember this in my first few weeks, was one of my coworkers gave me essentially a spaghetti string program that had been written by a more senior analyst and said, can you figure out how to make this better? The thing was over a thousand lines long. And I remember printing it off on one of our archaic printers so I could look at it all at once. And I quickly realized that they were doing a if A is true and B is true and C is true and D is false, then this if A is true and B is true and D is true and C is true, then that sort of thing. And within about an hour, I managed to compress their thousand lines of code down into about 16. And I'm not claiming to be the best programmer. In fact, I'm not a super gifted programmer. I learned very quickly that while I always had a passion for technology growing up, that programming was not one of my best skills, which became a point of frustration because I found the next six years doing that at ALSAC. In my second year there, I remember I had changed bosses about once every year, so I was never with a single boss long enough for them to actually see me grow and improve, and it very quickly led to me feeling stranded and jaded. And I remember my third boss, who had taken over after my second boss, was fired by him said to me once I only really invest in people I find interesting and I don't find you interesting and I found that personally shattering I was in the infancy of my career and I was trying to find some traction but this really sort of cut me off at the knees and I felt super listless In fact, for the next several years, I sort of came in, I did the job and I left, but I didn't really have any passion for it. And it was one of my sort of more senior mentors who had commented to my friend David saying, look, Zach just needs to either figure it out or get out. And David told me this, and once again, that was at first sort of shattering to me, but as I thought about it, I was like, you know, he's really right. Like I, I have to commit one way or the other. So at that point I decided, I may not love what I'm doing, but I'm going to buckle down and do it to the best of my ability. So I began sort of developing my professional competency, becoming more confident be building out plans, organizing meetings better, always trying to find a way to deliver value and at the very least nudge something forward even if I couldn't make a big leap. And within 18 months, the same guy that had said I needed to get out had moved on to a different team where he was now manager. And he called me and said, Hey, Zach, I knew you were interested in sort of getting into business analysis over development. Would you like to come do that on my team? And that felt like the biggest win in the world for me. So I did. And business analysis was a much more natural fit for my sensibilities. I was right in the middle, which if you look back at my degrees of management, information systems and marketing was a well-suited place for me because I both understood the technical well enough to speak to the developers' needs and limitations. I was also able to speak to the business needs well enough to communicate to the business leaders you know what they needed out of it. So as a sort of middleman, uh, like an office space where I, I deliver between the two sides, I found a sort of natural affinity for my skills. And within about two years in that role, my boss uh, once again changed teams and moved over to BI and asked if I would like to come with him. And I said, sure, I don't know anything about BI, but uh, the part of development that I liked the most was dealing with the data on the back end rather than, you know, developing complicated GUIs. Why not? What could it hurt, right? So at this point it's 2014 and I have been in the workforce, you know, about six or seven years. My career path has obviously changed a lot from where I started. I went from banking, to being a developer, to being a business analyst, to now being a data analyst. So now I'm working with tools like business objects. I'm using SQL Server Management Studio daily. I'm getting my hands more directly into the data and I'm finding it super rewarding. And it was about three years into that when I first experienced Tableau, which was I was sent to a training session in New York with David, It was my first time in New York. Last time in New York, actually, looking forward to getting back guys. And uh, I had a training session with a trainer named Tiffany Spaulding. And Tableau really, from the very beginning, I found fascinating because I was very easily able to make visuals out of stuff that previously would just look like tabular views. And I found that really appealing because I've always been a doodler. I wouldn't call myself an artist. I'm not sort of that brash, but I'm always drawing if I'm in a meeting, if I'm watching TV, if I'm in church, you know, I'm not not paying attention to you, I swear. but. It's just sort of my background noise is to be creating something. So I attended the training with Tiffany Spaulding and that really got me jump-started on Tableau and I had an assignment that my boss asked me to do using Tableau for the first time. And I was nervous because I hadn't really committed to it as a tool before. I was used to business objects, but I went ahead and did it. And I started learning David is about six months ahead of me. So I had a resource sitting right next to me that I could ask the tough questions to. And we sort of got invigorated by bouncing ideas back and forth between each other. And it wasn't too long until I published my first public tableau visualization, which was on M. Night Shyamalan. I actually made it before I even knew there was a public community or some place to put it. I just wanted to sort of use the tool to look at something else than what I normally looked at. And once I started sort of connecting with the public community and creating public work, I found myself more invigorated for the work I was doing at work and Tableau quickly became my primary tool whenever possible, using that rather than business objects. Because I found a greater degree of flexibility with it, I found people responded more to the visuals of it, and I also found it to be more powerful for what you know, sort of my needs were in terms of personal and professional development. So for my first several years participating in Tableau publicly within the community, I wasn't really taken off like a rocket. Sometimes you see people come in and they're very fully formed from the beginning. Think of like Autumn Batani or CJ Mays, both of them have sort of been skyrocketing and they're both really young. And in a way, I really uh, envy them in the sense that I wish I had discovered this sooner in my life, um, that I could have been doing it longer at this point, right? So it was in 2019 that I won my first Vizi Award, which is a community-based award given out of the Tableau Conference. It's voted on by members of the community, uh, not bestowed by, by Tableau personally, which, Tableau-based awards are obviously wonderful and very honoring, but there's something about your peers sort of awarding you something that meant a lot, and it absolutely meant the world to me. So I won the 2019 Visi Award for greatest growth, and the thing that meant the most to me about it really was that Tiffany Spalding was in attendance at the Visi. So my original trainer from a couple of years prior was there, and that was a very emotional moment for me because I, I felt sort of I was I was progressing, at least in a way that meant something to me, you know, and in the years to come, I got many more sort of public honorariums. I became a Tableau featured author the next year. At that point I had about a hundred public visits under my belt. I very quickly became a Tableau ambassador, which was one of my goals all along. It was something I always wanted from the time I first heard about it. I think it was Ann Jackson. I saw first, who was a Tableau ambassador. And I just thought, wow, like I want to be like that. Um, And then eventually in 2021, I was awarded a Tableau Zen Master status by Tableau, which is something I never thought I could achieve and something I never sought and something will never sit quite right with me in terms of, I guess maybe I never uh, wanted to be a member of a club that would actually take me in, you know, Um, but more than anything about receiving the Zen Master Award um, I have a mentor in the Tableau community, who is a name that you probably know, um, that I had talked to shortly before and they told me that they had nominated me and that rather, whether I got it or not, they felt like I was ready. And uh, that meant more than anything, there's so something so affirming about having those real connections with other people and, and sort of their belief in you and what that can do for you personally unfortunately at the same time in my actual career at alsac uh, as my career at alsac was coming to a close um i was feeling less and less personal momentum i felt like i'd kind of tapped out within my role as an analyst there i felt like i was sort of doing the same projects over and over and also that i was going to be working with the same programs for at least the next 20 years of my career there was no clear path forward either in terms of you know sort of personal development but also in terms of like, you know, status, salary, and that sort of thing. But honestly, at the end of the day, I felt really unfulfilled in what I was doing. And whenever I tried to find ways to sort of bring more creativity to it, like maybe creating landing pages and that sort of thing to connect dashboards, uh, the value of it wasn't really seen. And additionally, a lot of the development work I was doing on myself, with my public work and the podcast weren't really seen as value added. In fact, in many ways, they were considered to be distractions, even though I wasn't doing them while I was at work. Um, so it's really became a conflict between these two things. Like, what do I want to do? Do I want to continue down this path of sort of development and doing it my way, or do I want to just like fully commit to sort of what I'm doing at ALSAC? And I felt trapped between a rock and a hard place because I really loved and valued the team I was working with. I'd been working with David for at least 10 years at that point. And he was always like my right hand man. Um, but I didn't really see where it was going to go. And it was around that time that I discovered that there were job openings at JLL. So I already had a few colleagues and friends that worked there. And um, I talked with Simon Beaumont, who had also previously come from nonprofit, having worked uh, for the National Institute of Health in the UK. And he was telling me how amazing it is working at JLL and how. They've got such a great leadership structure and these really cohesive teams uh, that there's a really intelligent and well thought out plan for personal development with the Ultrix Adventure and Tableau Quest and how personal development is sort of built in and applauded. And it was all really exciting for me. And that's when I sort of thought, you know what, this, this sounds like maybe the next step. So. I applied I did the interview process I did the you know the projects and everything and I got in and I've been there a year and a half now and I have to say being on the other side is very different right so having come from a place where I sort of wasn't valued for the extra things I was doing those things are seen as value-added things that help me develop and help me get better at doing my job and I feel excited uh, going to work because I know I'm going to be working on different projects with different clients and I see a path forward um, for the first time in a long time. And it's been a really exciting journey uh, both in terms of my career but also sort of in terms of the more public-facing side of my career. I now work with a lot of peers who also are from the Tableau and Alteryx communities and are very accomplished and sort of very passionate about what they do. And it's exciting to work with passionate people because you share ideas and everyone gets better together. And there's this real growing opportunity. and. It's not a contest. So when you see people like from within your organization get to go to Iron Viz or people get a uh, Tableau visionary status or something, there's not like an internal rivalry around it. Everyone is celebratory and everyone is excited by each other's accomplishments and it sort of a rising tide lifts all boats. And it's, it's one of the things that I've always uh, enjoyed about the Tableau community sort of at a bigger level. I think it was Adam Miko I was talking with one day who said the really nice thing about it is that there's not a hierarchy you know we we see people get different awards and statuses and stuff but no one acts like they're better than and no one is too good to talk to or help someone else out like that's why it works so well because it's really not a zero-sum game like someone else's success doesn't diminish your success and whatever your success is right now if it feels small compared to what others do it's it's yours right like compare yourself against you where you were before i look back at where i was you know 20 pounds uh overweight unemployed uh on food stamps uh applying to work at my friend's dad's job because i had no other options i look at myself now where i'm in a career where i feel really fulfilled and i'm sort of you know reaping the benefits of it both sort of mentally and emotionally but also sort of Within my community. So, I know this has been a really rambling story to get from sort of college Zach to visionary round two Zach, but I wanted to say it because I think a lot of times we can look at sort of people's journeys, and when we see someone accomplish something, we don't always necessarily know what the story was of how they got there. Sometimes it's really easy to look at someone else and say, like, you know, maybe they just had everything fall into place, or maybe they're lucky, maybe they're just super skilled. And I'm not saying I'm any of those things at all. I'm <laughs> I'm a mess, but my journey has been all over the place. And I know a lot of other people's journeys are widely varied. And I would love to hear some call-ins uh, to the show to talk more about other weird steps on people's journeys. And I'd like to do some future episodes talking about other people's stories on where they started and where they are now. So if this is stuff you'd be interested in, let me know because I'd love to do some more. And with that, this has been Data Plus Love. Happy Wednesday, guys. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3, and you can get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one. You won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.